Today on Abounding Grace. Man, what is going on, Lord? What's going to happen? What about, what if they do this? And what if they do that? And what happens here? And what's going to be tomorrow? And what about next year? And what about my kids? What about my, all of it. It's just overwhelming. And this little truth in Matthew chapter 6 has brought so much comfort to my soul. It's not anything new. You probably quote it, misquote it perhaps. But listen to what Jesus said. Listen to his words and let them sink in. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. This is amazing grace. We know that we can't survive very long without food and water. It's essential for life and growth. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll see the vital importance of the Word of God to survive and thrive spiritually. If we try to go without it, our lives will suffer as a result. Pastor Ed Taylor enters 1 Peter chapter 2 today, and he's about to emphasize how important God's Word is to us, especially in tough times. So please, again, take your Bibles, open them to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we start a new chapter in our study through 1 Peter. It's so good to be back in uh, the Bible with you on this midweek Bible study. Of course, you guys listening on the radio, uh, welcome. You guys online, we're glad that you're with us. Uh, this is a Bible study that I've entitled, Tough Times Require God's Word. Tough Times Require God's Word. And we're on a journey with Pastor Peter. I want you to consider of all the ways that Peter's described by different Bible teachers. I want you to add to that, he's a pastor. And he's writing with a pastor's heart. Not only is Peter a pastor entrusted with the ministry by Jesus himself, but he's a pastor after great failure. God restored him and brought him back into a place of pastoral ministry so that he's even writing this letter, probably in no way knowing that he's writing the Bible. He's just writing out his thoughts to this group of scattered, hassled people. But we also now know that he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Remember Peter, the rugged, impetuous fisherman, transformed, writing to a group of hassled, hurting, persecuted believers. The world is turned against them, inspired by the wicked government of Rome, by Caesar Nero. In the Phillips commentary, just by review, I'll read to you how he describes this time, and I quote, Rome was burned in AD 64, and Nero was the likely suspect. Alive to his danger, he sought for a convenient scapegoat and found one in the infant church. He accused the Christians of starting the blaze. And by the time it was quenched, the fire had resulted in the virtual destruction of three of the 14 districts into which the city was divided. And Nero launched a fearful persecution of the church. The center of the persecution was Rome. But just as fire had spread, so the flames of persecution spread. And even some of the nearer provinces 
were likely places of danger. Both Peter and Paul seemed to even perish during this time. In AD 67, war broke out with the Jews, a war that would end finally in the demise of the Jewish state. Nero committed suicide in AD 68 at the age of 32 in the 14th year of his reign. And Peter's first letter here seems to have been written sometime between 64 and 67, between the outbreak of the Christian persecution and the outbreak of the Jewish war. Peter felt, and I would add, Pastor Peter felt the peril of suffering of the times. The world was changing. Old landmarks were being removed. Christianity was in crisis. Peter had some things to say, and we know him as one of the Lord's first four disciples, and he had marvelous memories, so he then reaches for his pen. And as we look back on our previous studies, we know that Peter's been teaching us about the, the truth of God's redemption and God's faithfulness, his never-ending love for us, his care and concern for his children. Because under the midst of great trial and difficulty, one of the things that happens to our memory is we begin to forget the faithfulness of God. And we get caught up very much so. And you're not a bad person for going through such behavior, you know, that you get caught up in the circumstances, you get blinded by the difficulty, you get overwhelmed by the trials, and you forget about the faithfulness of God. And you get caught up in the situation, maybe even caught up in your mind and overwhelming of your imagination that's not so holy at times. And so what did Peter do? As you look through chapter 1, if you want to review, you can see it with me. But he began to speak about our conduct and our behavior in the midst of trial. Maybe you're hassled and going under a great, living under great duress. And this was the direction that Peter had given us just in chapter 1. Notice in verse 13, he, he says, get your mind ready for battle. Gird up the loins of your mind. In verse 14, he speaks of obedience. In the midst of trial, be obedient. Obey what's before you. He speaks in verse 16 of the holiness of God. He says, remember, be holy for I am holy. In verse 17, Peter reminded us to fear God. He says, man, if you call on the Father who without partiality judges, conduct yourselves through this time of sojourning. How? In fear, holy reverence. He says in verse 18, remember who you are in Christ, that you weren't redeemed with corruptible things uh, in, from your aimless conduct. Remember the redemption of God. Remember in verse 19 that you were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You're not going through this alone. You were Redeemed by the precious blood, it says in verse 19, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Notice verse 21. He reminds us that we have faith and hope that are in God. In verse 22, it reminds us of the purification of our souls and that we love one another. Don't forget to love. You're in the midst of great uh, trial and difficulty. You see no way out. It's difficult to the left and to the right. Institutions that you once trusted in, things that were regular, they're all gone. Well, don't forget to love one another fervently. Remember that word is on fire. Let it be a mark of your life. And then he says in verse 25, make sure that you're clinging to the word of God. Why? Because it endures forever. And that's where we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 2 with that conclusion, therefore, Therefore, because of all that we have learned in chapter 1, now Paul makes a conclusion. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, 
and evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. It's almost like he's saying, you know how good the Lord is. You know how faithful he has been. You know how difficult times are. You're reminded of all these wonderful truths that get forgotten in the midst of trials. Therefore, lay aside. Lay aside the things that are hindering you. Because we've been born again, because we're guarded, because we're protected, because we're kept by God, because you have a new nature, a new love, because you're going to heaven and your salvation is secure, here's your responsibility. Lay aside these things. They're not compatible. They're not going to help you along in the journey. You know, these things are sinful. They're going to harm you. The wages of sin is death. Identify them and lay them aside. And notice what he says. Number one, he says to lay aside all malice. All malice. Let me read it to you from the New Living Translation. We can get different perspectives. It says, so get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave more spirit, the pure spiritual milk so that you'll grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Lay aside, number one, all malice, or as a new living, evil behavior. This is a general phrase in the Greek language that refers to bad behavior, all bad behavior. All that behavior that would not be named, uh, it should not be named by followers of Jesus. Lay it aside. Toss it away. Secondly, he says, lay aside all guile or deceit. This is a word in the original language. Remember the New Testament's written in the Greek language. This Greek word speaks of craftiness and manipulation. This times of trial are no way to be crafty and manipulative. And you know how sometimes in situations, you'd be put in a situation where you can manipulate the, the whole situation. You can manipulate small parts of it to get out from under it. And this is no time to be manipulative. But rather, there's a call to purity and honesty and fidelity. And we don't want to wiggle out of it. And we don't want to create things where, where we're crafty. You can see today, there's quite a bit of craftiness and manipulation going on in the midst of trials. He says, lay it aside. Second, thirdly, he says, lay aside the hypocrisy. I mean, wouldn't the world be a much better place with less hypocrisy? <laughs> More And I believe there's a piece of this that is definitely negative, because that's the context. Lay aside the hypocrisy, be real. But I also think there's a positive side to this, where you can be honest about what you're going through. And we'll see that in this context. One of the things that God is calling for through through times of trial is honesty and fidelity. And, And one of the ways is not to power through and pretend that everything's okay, but rather be honest with those that are close to you. Be honest with those that ask you that you're struggling or going through it or str- having a, you know, it's, it's overwhelming to you. Instead of putting on a mask, that's what hypocrisy is in the Greek, putting on a mask so that it comes from the Greek theater where actors would play various parts. And when they would play a different part, they would change masks. But the mask would cover who they really were. And hypocrisy is something that's a part of all of our lives 
And we would do well to have less of it in our lives, to lay it aside. Notice also he says, lay aside envy. Or in the New Living Translation, they translated this word jealousy. And that's really what it means. Lay aside all your jealousy. And here's the thing in the midst of trials. You know, the jealousy that we have is that other people aren't suffering as much as we are. And that just gets, you know, frustrating at times, especially in the psalmist. You know, remember David? David was especially upset about those that didn't love God and hated God and seemed like they had no problems at all. There was a, there was a difficulty in his heart about that. And our jealousy, this, to be satisfied with the lot, our lot in life, as hard as it might be, this is the will of God for us. Lay it aside. And then finally he says, lay aside all evil speaking. And this would speak uh, to unkindness, uh, unkind speech. Uh, And I would even say that by extension, the emphasis is even in writing, you know, now in our context and our application, uh, how you post and what you say on social media, uh, gossip, slander, cursings, all evil speaking. He says, look, in the midst, one of the things, the decisions you need to make on a regular basis is to lay aside these things because they're not consistent with your new nature. Although trials and temptation seems to prick our flesh. And that's where these things come from. And when you get pricked and you get pricked and you get pricked and you get pricked, eventually you respond. And the Lord's just saying, watch out for these things. Lay them aside. They're not good for you. They're not good for those that are close to you. Instead, he says, verse 2, as newborn babes, or I like in the new living, newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you might grow thereby. As newborn babies have this urgent desire for the word of God, now more than ever. And you know, one thing you see with newborn babies and precious babies, even around the church, is when they get hungry, when they desire nourishment, we know about it. They let it be known. They're hungry. Uh, And they are desiring to eat. And they just have no problem with it. I'm hungry and I'm hungry right now. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Pastor Ed's teaching. They don't know what you're saying. They're hungry. And they say it. When they get hungry, they sound like a siren. Like when they're hurt. If you're a first-time parent, you might freak out about it a couple times. But it's normal. They're communicating something. They want mom's milk. Nothing else will satisfy them. A ride in the car around the block? Nope. A pat on the back? Nope. Uh, You know, just trying to coddle and quiet them? No way. They know what they want, and they won't be content until they get it. And what did Jesus say in Luke chapter 18, verse 16? I'll read it to you. Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Let me just say, in the midst of difficulties, it is not the time to abandon the word of God. Even though there is a truth about going through a trial and opening the Bible and feeling like it really isn't true. So you're reading it through and like you have a belief in God and you trust God, but you've been so disoriented that as you're reading it, you've got these spiritual attacks. Well, what does this mean? This doesn't even mean anything. God doesn't understand. God doesn't know. And you're frustrated. So then you just lay aside the Bible. You might even come to the conclusion at times the Bible doesn't work. And then you just know you're not in your right mind. You're not in the right place because the Bible works. God promises the Bible works. The Bible, tell, we're told in the scriptures that the word of God will go forth, God says. I will send it out and it will accomplish the purpose for which it's sent. And one of the ways to read the Bible is to read it no matter what. So sometimes we come to the Bible, we read it, and we're going to study it. 
Sometimes we come to the Bible and we read it because we're doing our devos, and so we're just doing what we're supposed to be doing. Sometimes we come to the Bible and read it because we're looking for an answer to a Bible question. Sometimes we come to the Bible, we're reading ahead for whatever we're going to study. And sometimes we come to the Bible to read it, just to read it, just to say the words out loud. Or maybe pull out your Bible app and let the Bible app read it to you if you're not really ready to take the words in. But the Word of God needs to stay close to us. Like a baby, we need to desire it and crave it. If you'd like to write in your Bibles, you can circle that word desire there in verse 2. It means an intense yearning. An intense yearning. You know, we have intense yearnings also. You know, we might be hungry for an In-N-Out burger, and we just drive up the street now, you know, and just walk right in. You guys have that yearning? You have that yearning, church? Well, you should. All right, that's a good illustration. Or you might have a yearning for some candy, a favorite candy. Or you might, and this is probably a yearning, you've been working so hard, you've been working so hard, your vacation is scheduled a week from now, and you have a yearning to get on that vacation and go get some rest. And you desire it, and, and you are looking forward to it. And when you're in it, you're just jumping in and enjoying it and rejoicing and happy. And this intense yearning is for God's Word. Not because you have to. Not because it makes you a good Christian. Not because it makes you can tell somebody you did your devos. The yearning is for spiritual nourishment. And I know as a new believer, as I was reading the Bible, I was reading it, but I didn't understand a lot of it. But I was reading out of obedience. My pastor told me to read the Bible. I read the Bible. And over time, I, I learned how God used the Word of God in my life. He would make a scripture come out. He would teach me about someone's life. He would teach me about himself. Like, like over time, it starts to make sense. And I believe Peter is saying, look, even when as an adult you don't understand, and even as an adult you can't rationalize, and even as a, I want you in times of crisis like a baby, just dive in and want it. And go for it so that you can grow. Because there's a lot of growth that God has for you. There's a lot of growth that God is wanting to give to you in your present trial. He's transforming you. You're living from glory to glory and strength to strength. He doesn't want you to remain the same person. And so the circumstances in your life are there to create a yearning for his word. God's pure word speaking to you, ministering to you, desiring it so you can grow. Don't let anyone take that desire away from you, even yourself. You know, you might get made fun of because you are in the realm of the Word so much in the Bible, and that's all you, because what you're taking in is what you're going to give out. So you start talking to people, and you may quote a scripture, you may be excited. Uh, you go to work, and you're saying, you know, what's going on in your life? And you go, man, I just saw this scripture. This, this just spoke to me. And you know, people don't want to hear that for the most part. So they start make fun of you, and you begin to, to, to be fearful about, maybe, maybe the Word isn't enough. You know, you listen to somebody, you, I don't know, some self-help guy, and you think, ah, oh, you know, that self-help guy, that sounds like real practical wisdom, and I understand him more than the Bible. But you know, the self-help guy or the self-help gal is not speaking to you the truth of your creator. And so he, they're just speaking to the outward. Change your behavior, change your behavior, change your behavior, and you'll have a better life. But the Bible says, I'll change you from the inside out and your behavior will change. Just come to me and enjoy me. 
Come to me and learn from me. Come to me and, and listen to me. I'll tell you what, let me, let me give you a scripture. Would you turn over to Matthew? I've just, I want to tell you something that God's really been doing in my life. I've been walking with him for 30 years, and, and I, know this, I know this scripture to be true. I memorized it as a new believer. I believe it. I live it. But God's just brought new life during this trial, this present trial that we're in. I've got some things going on in my life as well, personal trials. We got governmental trials. We got trials like, we got more trials with than we can handle. We say amen to that church. Is anybody sharing that? Like, we just got so much, and, and, and we're like, man, what is going on, Lord? What's going to happen? What about, what if they do this, and what if they do that, and what happens here, and what's going to be tomorrow, and what about next year, and what about my kids, what about my God? All of it, it's just overwhelming. And this little truth in Matthew chapter 6 has brought so much comfort to my soul. It's not anything new. You probably quote it, misquote it perhaps, but listen to what Jesus said. Listen to his words and let them sink in. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. That, that word spoken in due season, and one of the reasons I encourage you, and I even beg you, church, it's a lost spiritual discipline. Would you please memorize scripture? Hide God's word in your heart so that you won't sin against him. Hide it in your heart so that the Holy Spirit can bring it back to you. And so you have some big questions on all top of all the trials and difficulties you're in. You have this big question of what about next year? What about next week? What about next month? And the Holy Spirit can say from inside of you, because you listen to this and you go, well, but man, Lord, I can't, I don't know how not to worry. That's all I do is worry, worry, worry. So not even from outside. While you're in your mind worrying, the Holy Spirit's inside of you comforting. And he's ministering to peace and encouragement. And he's saying, it's okay. I've got it taken care of. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how it's all going to go down. We're not even promised tomorrow. And so because of that, you can trust me today. So let's just get down to today. Let's just eat today. Don't eat for tomorrow. Don't eat for next week. Like a pure baby. Baby's not worrying about, how am I going to eat in three months? Baby eats now and you, you know, moms teach the babies. When you yell, I feed. You yell, I feed. You yell, change diaper sometimes, but feed, change diaper, feed, change diaper. Like babies get all the attention in the world, which gives them what? A sense of security, a sense of peace. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. He's leading a study from 1 Peter. Pastor Ed, I can't help but think someone listening right now needed to hear that. They've been anxious and worried about many things. In addition to time in the Word and meditating on passages like this in Matthew, do you have any other suggestions? Well, when I think of anxiety and difficulty, I think of the value, Larry, that there's a true value in coming together in the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So make a habit of being together. Make a habit of praying together, uh, sharing meals together, having communion together, reading and talking about the Word of God together. Um, as we're together, the Lord will use us iron sharpening iron and strengthen us in Him. That is very helpful. Thanks again. 
You can find our studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And they're also accessible through our app as well. Do a search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play and look for us on Apple Podcasts. Well, here in the month of December, we picked out a timely resource we think you'll enjoy and get a lot out of. It would even make a great Christmas gift. It's called The Case for Christmas. So who was in the manger that first Christmas morning? Not everyone agrees on the answer to that. If he was the divine son of God, how do you know for sure? Well, Lee Strobel investigates in The Case for Christmas, and we'll send it to you when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more today. Please make your request by phone at 877-30-GRACE or order it online at calvaryco.store. Also remember that it's through your support that we're able to bring Abounding Grace to your radio station every day. With your help, countless thousands of people are hearing the truth of God's Word all over the nation and world at a time in human history where they really need to hear it, too. We can be reached toll-free at 877-30-GRACE, or you can make a donation online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Set aside another half hour to join us tomorrow when we'll dig deeper into First Peter with Pastor Ed Taylor here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.